This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from January 3rd, based off of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I hope you enjoy. God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, if you'd like to follow along as I read aloud. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. So it's been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. I have to be careful with this sermon. And you're probably asking, what do you mean you be careful? Well, there's, there's a lot of ambiguity to this story and in the way that it's written it makes it fascinating for example my favorite bible trivia question to ask a group of adults is how many wise men were there and the question the answer is always well there were three and then i do the well show me where it says that in the bible and they said well it says it in matthew okay cool go for it just just spend all your time and the junior high and high school kids, they're just scouring through it. They're like, okay, Josh, that wasn't funny. It just says, wise men from the east, doesn't say how many. It says that there were three gifts, however, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The reason that we get three wise men in our heads is because of the songs. You know, the, the, the hymn, We Three Kings. All the hymns that were written, the Christmas carols talk about Three wise men. One of my favorite operas of all time that I was in was called A Mall in the Night Visitor. And, and to be King Melchior was kind of a big deal. 
I loved being in a Mall of the Night visitor just because it's this beautiful arrangement of how would it look if we actually saw them as people rather than as just these figments in the midst of the story. Now, it's interesting to point out why I have to be careful when I talk about this passage of Scripture is, is, is that Matthew is the only one that talks about them. Mark and John have no interest in the birth narrative in any way, shape, or form. Luke has a beautiful story where there's shepherds and a field and there's all of this majesty to it. And Matthew, well, Matthew is, is, is a very smart academic person and has spent a lot of time studying Torah. And in the midst of it, he is trying in some way or another to show that this truly is the fulfillment of prophecy. Starting off with the genealogy of Jesus, which you find goes to Joseph, not Mary, which can cause problems. The other issues that we have with this story is, is that not only does Matthew do this, there's this moment where Matthew focuses in on Herod. Now Herod was a Roman who was the king of Israel. He was self-appointed. At this point, this, this would have been uh, Herod the Great, which nobody liked. And he was an evil person. And so a lot of scholars talk about how Matthew talks about Herod in such a way that gives you the idea that Herod was not a good guy. Because he even tries to squelch the opportunity of the, the Magi from seeing the Christ child. And really, the subterfuge that's going on in the story is really a political statement about Herod more than it's about the wise men. Matthew continues the story about the Holy Family's flight into Egypt, which we talked about last week. Yes, out of order on purpose. And Herod's murderous slaughter revenge of the innocents. So who were these people? These wise people from the east. Does this try to tell us that some way or another that the gospel message extends beyond the boundaries of religion and ethnicity? That should make you ponder for just a moment. These nameless strangers showing up at the birth of Christ with gifts for him, not necessarily proclaiming him in, as necessarily their king, but knowing that this person, this child, this infant is so powerful that they followed a star from wherever it was that they came and, and prostrated themselves at the feet of the Holy Mother and Jesus, our Christ. It's a fascinating story. There's an author by the name of Douglas Hare who talks about our primary actors in this story as the Magi. And it's important to know that it conjures up specifically 
potential meanings. For example, a group of magicians or conjurers, as you would read in the book of Acts, which actually becomes the predominant meaning of the word magoi that we find in Greek or in later Christian literature. It also could be that they were a part of the Zoroastrian priestly caste from Persia who also used the same name. The, the part that the Christian tradition has focused in on specifically is, is that they're astrologers. And they most prefer this because it, it gives this practice of astrology as uh, something that the East had done and continued to do. It's kind of a beautiful story when you look at it that way. Could the visit of the Magi be symbolic? Could it be symbolic of the divine preparation required for the coming of a quote-unquote Jewish king? What do we do with a pre-Christian prophet like Magi? Do the Magi cause us to draw the circle of God's kingdom maybe a little wider? I would hope so. You know, one of the things that stuck in my brain and is still stuck in my brain and it frustrates me and exhilarates me all at the same time. When we're in Jerusalem, which to me seems like a million years ago, while you're there, it is nothing to see a Greek Orthodox church across the way from a Catholic church, literally a, down the street from a mosque, Methodist churches, Lutheran churches. They're all over the place. The evangelicals have, in some ways or another, have started just to kind of embed themselves in Jerusalem and, and help build shops and stuff. I, I don't know, but it is what it is. But there's something powerful about the place of Jerusalem and in Israel. At Bethlehem specifically. Literally in the place that Jesus was born, right across the courtyard, is a mosque. <laughs> and there's a Catholic church there. And then a Greek Orthodox church built right next door. And a Lutheran church down the street from the mosque. And yet here in our world... In the United States, we especially have so many issues with anybody that's not what we would say Judeo-Christians. To me, this passage of Scripture is supposed to be widening the story, not shrinking the story. Every single culture in the world has heard of Jesus in some way or another. And they always speak of him in respect. I mean, even Gandhi talked about Jesus as a prophet. Something special, something Mashiach-like in our world. And we cannot avoid the aspect of Herod. You know, I think the part that's the most frustrating for me in our world is, is that Matthew includes him at the table because he brings him in the discussion. Take away the fact that he's a leader. 
Let's think about what we know about Herod the Great. And Matthew decides that we need to put him in text. What does it say to us about where our modern Herods live? Those persons in power who have signed the papers that order the destruction of mothers and fathers and children and or infants. Please understand that I'm not talking about the United States at this statement. I'm talking about the global entity that Christ has affected. You see the church all over the world trying to find ways to oppose such power-yielding agents and institutions in a way that might be Christ-like. You see protests all over Palestine with Palestinian Christians begging for relief and fair treatment and equal treatment. You see people all over the world like in Haiti that are trying to find such a way that makes a place to study and worship Christ in a safe place. Places like China, places like where Russia used to have issues, places all over the world that proclaim Christ as Savior, but are yet under the thumb of yet another Herod the Great. So what can the church do to oppose such power-yielding agents? and institutions. I think it has to go back to that star. You know the star in the story that we make a big deal out of? My son was so excited about being able to see this star the week before Christmas. I mean like he was waiting outside and just, he just, I mean took over a thousand pictures I think. There's something powerful about astrological events that no one can explain. And, to, and for Matthew to sit, talk about there being a star that led these magi from the east to this place in Bethlehem. Some astronomical, astrological event that only happens once ever. Maybe, maybe we ought to focus in on that star. Maybe we ought to focus in on that star. Maybe we interpret it as God's activity in the world even before salvation was a thing. Hmm. You're probably asking yourself, well, what does this have to do with making sure that we have enough room at the table. Bunch of people are coming. Well, that means that we've got to prepare. We have to prepare and prepare the way for those that are coming, seeking God in their lives, seeking a set of connection with Jesus Christ. You see, you can't just say, oh, there's this God. And there's this Jesus, and it's so amazing if your hearts aren't ready, if your buildings aren't ready, if your doors aren't ready. You need to prepare the way of the coming of Christ. And then you have to have faith that God will fill the pews. That God will provide the meal 
And how do we know that? Because we've been led by a star. And we know people are coming. People this morning are coming to Christ in a way that we've never, ever imagined. We find them connecting to God in such a way that they find God in a way that's disconnected. You see, the star is there. It's guiding the people to Christ. But are we ready for it? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of hard not to put in an analysis what the church is facing today. And, and I wanted to end my sermon with this basically a cheerleading moment. And I might get a little animated, so you might be prepared, preparing yourself for your way inside your living rooms because you may want to have your volume control next to you. We have begun 2021 <laughs> with over four inches of snow in a place that doesn't get this much snow. I think it's God showing us a star. When I was a kid, I used to love it snowing. And when we moved from Japan back to the United States, the very first place we moved to was Waukegan, Illinois. And it would happen to be in 1980 something or other. And we had our very first blizzard <laughs> and my mom, being an Oki, uh, could not believe that we had this much snow. And I remember it as if it was yesterday. Here I am in second and third grade, and I'm walking home from school, and the snow starts coming down so thick I can't even see anything. Couldn't see two feet in front of me, let alone an inch. Somehow I make it home, and my dad said something I will never forget. He says, you know, this is the reason that we get this much snow is because God's clearing the canvas. And you get to see everything fresh and new and completely clear and pure. I will never forget that he said that. And then I think about 2021, and I, I would love to be able to tell you that the coronavirus is going to go away. I would love to tell you that the vaccine is going to change the entire world. I would love to tell you that for once in my adult life, our political leaders would straighten up and, and stop acting like children. I would love to be able to tell you that in some way or another, that our world will finally be equal and fair and just. I would love to be able to tell you that people can come in our doors and feel welcomed. But we're not looking at the right place. Our focus for such a long time has been focused in on ourselves and what's good for me and mine. The idea of Magi coming to visit us from someplace strange and distant to come and give us gifts is terrifying to us. But here's what I want us to be thinking about in 2021. 
as the First Christian Church in Perry continues to strive to serve our community to the best of our ability, we're going to be looking for that star. Over the last couple of weeks, we've had people that were sick and dying, and I've had this weird moment that I, it felt like God was telling me to say it to them, and I would say things to them such as, you have to not look for the great tidal wave of God. You have to look for the small tidbits of God to know God's presence is there. 2021 is not about the bigger, the better, the better. It's finding those tidbits of God, guiding them and letting them guide us to a place that has been prepared for us. And folks, when we start doing that, and we stop worrying about what everybody else in the world is saying or what, what we're worried about, what they're going to say about us, when we stop doing that for just a moment, we start to finally see that star guiding us to a place of safety and security. <laughs> and we better be ready. Because there's going to be a bunch of people coming to dinner just think about it. In the last, now it's at 10 months. Think about how many people have felt isolated and alone and distant and disconnected and afraid and terrified and neglected. And we're going to offer them a place of love, compassion, a sense of belonging, a place where their voice matters, even if it's different than our own. Folks, people are coming to dinner. Let us prepare our hearts as we look for that star in the midst of our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.